right, guys. Well, it is Father's Day weekend, and I do want to just take a brief moment and give a special shout-out to a couple of people. And first off, um, I want to honor our pastor and my brother, Brother, brother Dornbach. Because you know what? He's not old enough to be all of our fathers. I'm not going to put that on him. But he is an excellent example to follow of what a father should be. He lives a great life of balance, and I give you honor as a friend. And as a brother, he doesn't know, but I just like, I'm just watching him. I'm like, all right, so I can just kind of follow right along behind him. His kids are the perfect age older than mine that I get to, I get to follow in his steps and pick his brain <laughs> or learn from mistakes. Yeah, either way. But now we give him honor. I also want to give a shout out watching online to, to my own father, my grandpa, and my father-in-law who's not here. Uh, the three men who have had to tolerate me <laughs> for, for my entire life. And I appreciate all three of them and everything that they have done. And then lastly, I want to give a shout out to my beautiful wife and all of the mothers. Because if it wasn't for you, Father's Day doesn't happen. And so I thank you for everything uh, that you represent. I have a few slides that I want to kick off today with. In honor, in honor of Father's Day, I thought it would be great if we looked at a few of these quotes. So while they're getting the first one up there, I'll read it to you. You can tell what was the best year of your father's life because they seem to freeze that clothing style and ride it out. <laughs> and I, uh, so they're making this return to like, it's called Gecko Hawaii. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like a lizard with sunglasses. I'm looking forward to it, man. The mid-90s, we'll just hold it there. All right, throw the next one up there. Here you go, if you're wondering what to get your dad. Remember what dads really want is a nap. Really, they really do. And that's for me, if nobody else. All right, next one. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could barely stand to have the man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in the next seven years. <laughs> That is true, actually. Um, it's crazy how fast dads learn as you get older. Um, so I want to uh, also give you one of my favorite, it wasn't really a quote, it was more a question that was often asked of me. And raise your hand if you've ever had this asked of you. Uh, what were you thinking? Has anybody ever asked you that? Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? Uh, I have had that question asked of me a lot. And I'd love to say that when I became older, nobody asked me that question anymore. But it's still, I still, every once in a while, will have somebody look at me and ask me what, what I was thinking. Uh, and you know, there's something innate within us as humans that we want to know the thought process that led to an end result. Like, we, we rarely are just like, that, that was an action, it happened, and we're okay with it. Now, we want to know why. We want to know what led to that action, right? I know I'm not the only one. Um, but today I just want to talk to you for a few minutes on this topic. What is the father thinking? What is the father thinking? And that squiggly line up there represents my brain most days. So, so there's an old saying, actions speak louder than words. We appreciate actions typically because we can, we can see them and we can try to understand why the actions happened. But as humans, we don't just accept actions at face value. We always want to know the thought process behind it. And I can prove it to you because... Uh, we do this with success, successful visionaries. Think about it. Think about how many books that you read um, or how many stories that you're drawn to involve hearing about the thought process of successful people, right? 
So after somebody's achieved a political office, after somebody has grown a company to great, to great success, after somebody has achieved fame, we always are like, what was their thought process that led them to this success? And we read about it in hopes that maybe that thought process will rub off on us and then, and then we'll also be successful. I always make a joke that I, uh, I, I have read Steve Jobs' entire book all the way through and I am not any more innovative than I was before I read it. But at least I know what he was thinking when he became innovative, so whatever that's worth. But we like to know that thought process. Um, but we also do it not just with good things, we also do it with bad things. We even do it with criminals, we do. There are so many documentaries and so many books about criminal minds. Like what was the mindset of this terrible person that led them to commit this act? It's, if you have any kind of streaming service, like you have to avoid that section because it's just so large of people wanting to know the thought process behind these individuals. We're obsessed with figuring out what people are thinking. And so I ask you this question. Do you ever wonder what God is thinking? Like right now in heaven, what's he, like, what's he thinking about? We're all down here on earth and at some point God decided I am going to create humanity and I'm going to invest a lot of my time and resources into it. Like what was his thought process that went into creating humanity and building this relationship because whatever that thought process was I want to get like right in line with it and and go down that avenue but Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 tells us a little bit about the thoughts of God it says for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord we know he does think just on a higher level than we do for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So we have this understanding that God is thinking, but he's thinking at a really high level. Um, and I'm going to read this next verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Disclaimer. I use this verse every time I preach. I blame Bible quizzing because it was one of the first verses I've learned, and it just sticks with me. So here it is. But it does. It, it fits into this. So we know that God thinks at a high level. And we're like, oh, I can't think at a high level like God does. But then we get this. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. These verse gives us the disclaimer that if you want to know what the Father is thinking, you must recognize that he is thinking on a higher plane than us. But at the same time, it's not some mystery that's beyond us. We can look at his creation and see his thought process. By visualizing the creation, we understand the invisible things of God. So recently, uh, me and my family took a trip to eastern Kentucky, and we went to visit uh, the Ark and the Creation Museum. Has anybody ever gone there before? One, two, yes, somebody's been there. All right, if you haven't, I'm going to tell you. Somebody took a life-size replica of the Noah's Ark in the Bible and to their best ability replicated the dimensions and stuck it in a field in eastern Kentucky. <laughs> and you can go and look at it, and it's, it's amazing. Um, but it just, I don't know. You know, words don't do it justice. It's a giant boat in the middle of land, and it's, it's the, whole, the whole idea of this creation museum in Noah's Ark is to try to take science and take the word of God and put it together, which ironically enough, it fits perfectly because we know that God created all things. So science does line up with the Bible, but it, it looks at God and what was he thinking 
during the creation? What was his mindset? And it's interesting because you can see some of the visualization of the creation of the world and things like that. Highly recommend it. But the point that I wanted to make from this is this. The whole time I'm there, I was just in wonder of this, of this idea that a heavenly father would create a world, create humanity, all so that he could have a relationship of free will with his creation. It, it doesn't make sense to me, honestly. If I was the one doing it, I'd do it different. But his thoughts, thankfully, are higher than my thoughts. And he has decided, I want to pour so much into this, this creation that I have made. These individuals, I love them so much. And he loves us so much that he gave us a choice. Because he never wanted it to just be rigid, right? He doesn't, God, God is not all about the rigidity. He wants a real relationship where we choose, not just one time, right? Like, I'm going to choose to be a Christian, so now I'm a Christian forever. That's not it at all. It's every single day we can wake up and, and acknowledge, like, Heavenly Father, I know that you love me, and I love you too, and I want a relationship with you. And that was his goal from creation from the very beginning. But he tells us in his word how much he loves us. Like, I love you. Love you so, like, so many verses in the Bible about the Father's love for us. However, I think as humanity, we sometimes struggle to recognize or to fully grasp. Maybe you all don't, but sometimes I do just how much he actually loves us and what his view of us really is. And so God is great at taking this, this huge, big concept and then shrieking it down into a concept that we can understand without losing any of the power of it. And so all throughout the Bible, we can clearly see the love that he has for us through the example of a father. He gives us that example. He gives us biblical examples of a father so that we can understand his love for us. It's a great example. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, one of the first verses where we see God referred to as our Father says, And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. So the Bible has lots of examples, and we don't have lots of time. So what I'm going to do is just quickly paraphrase just a few of the examples that God gave us in the Bible of a Father's love. Starting out with Abraham, we see how he and Sarah longed for a child, how much he loved Sarah, but he wanted to have a child, and God gave him this promise. And a father's love is willing to be patient and wait for the hope of a promise that God gave him. If we look ahead, we can read about the prodigal son, and we see how quickly forgiveness comes from a father who simply wants restoration with his child more than anything else. And if you read the story of Joseph and the pain that Jacob went through, when he thought that he lost his son to death, we see how deeply saddened the father is when he's separated from his children. When we read about Jairus' daughter way up in the New Testament, we see that his daughter's sick on the verge of death, and a bold and perseverant father is willing to do whatever he can to save his child. Even when we read about David's mourning for his lost child with Bathsheba, we see how a father's worship and praise can turn around a family's trajectory and rewrite a grim history. God gives us so many examples of a father's love to help us understand the most important relationship in the entire Bible. Anybody want to guess what that one is? It's the relationship that Jesus wants to have with each one of us. That's the most important relationship of the entire Bible. That's what God wanted from the very beginning. And so he gives us fatherhood to understand what he's willing to do to have a relationship with us, what he's willing to sacrifice, what he's willing to give up, anything he can do to have a relationship with us. And it's a powerful example that he gives us. And so when Jesus is walking on the earth, 
this is kind of the mindset, this is the thought process that he's trying to bring back to a group of people who have kind of lost their way. It's kind of, they've kind of not viewed God in the same way that he wanted them to view him all along. And so Jesus comes and he starts instantly making references to his heavenly father. He teaches about the heavenly father every chance he gets, everywhere he goes. He talks about my father. He loves us. My father. He's talking about the father. And he didn't speak in this manner to confuse anybody, but he spoke in this manner in a way that we could all understand this relationship. We, everybody in the Old Testament heard about the greatness and the importance of the forefathers. And so when Jesus is teaching, he's teaching at a level that these people will understand, a father-to-child relationship that's so important and so special. And he's saying that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with each of you. And so Jesus is on earth, and he's constantly realigning. He's arguing with Pharisees. He, he's teaching his disciples. He's Everywhere he goes, he's preaching, and he's realigning a, a view of the Father that he thinks, that he wants us to have today. And we see Jesus was tired of humanity viewing him as some distant, unrelatable being. He came to restore and remind the world of how much he loves us. He wanted to remind us that our Heavenly Father wants a relationship with us. And he, he preaches it so much that the disciples actually start to get confused about who Jesus is. And look at this awesome encounter in John chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. One day, Jesus is teaching his disciples. They've heard about the love of the Father, and they ask. They got questions. And Jesus is talking, and he says unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye do know him, and you've seen him. So Philip asked this question. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. It's like, show us the Father. We hear you talking about the Father all the time. Just show him to us. And Jesus says this, this powerful verse. And he says unto them, have I been with you for so long that you don't even know me, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you ask me then, show us the Father? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says it like this. For God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave to us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Can I tell you guys, Jesus is our heavenly father. He's our heavenly father, and he came to show us how much he loves us. And if you're here today, and you're like, I've heard this kind of stuff, but I've never taken the next step, you can be baptized in the name of Jesus, which is the name of our heavenly father. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost at this altar. And you can have an eternity with him. Because the message of God's love was sent to us through Jesus, and it's so important. But you know what? We have a problem in society today. We have a couple problems. <laughs> you may have figured out. Um, but we do have one real problem. And since it's Father's Day, what would Father's Day be without a few statistics? Uh, there is an attack on fathers in America. There's an attack on fathers in the world. And I'd love to tell you, it's because I am so important as a man that I am being attacked as a father. But really, you have to think about creation. And you have to think that God created fatherhood to show his love to humanity. And so there is, there is a, a, an enemy of our soul. There is a devil who hates the image that God is creating. And so he wants to destroy the image of the father. And it's not so much about us. It kind of is. But it's not so much about us. It's because if we don't understand the love of a father, how are we going to understand the love of God? And so there's this, this very spiritual attack. 
And I'm going to read this to you because I think it's kind of small, but there is a crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.3 million children, one in four, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. And I'll say this, if you're not the biological father, it doesn't diminish your role. Step, uncle, grandpa, whatever you're doing, if you're investing in a child's life, it is a worthy effort. And we are, we are appreciative of that. There is a father factor in nearly all of societal ills facing America today. Research shows when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. Four times greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity. My father was in the home, so that's not on him. Uh, more likely to commit a crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. Well, these are staggering stats, and this is not from a church group. This is just society. What a huge role that fathers play. And if you're here and you're playing that role, real quick, just to the fathers, we can't be selfish with our time and our priorities. We can't prioritize our own success over a relationship with our children. I'm just talking to myself. I'm not, I got to do this every day. We can't be unintentional and just hope that our children turn as it turns out. And lastly, and most importantly, we can't destroy the image of our Heavenly Father for our kids. We can't do that. If we don't know what a good father looks like as a society, then God's plan to show his love to us is so much harder. So much harder. God's love for us has been distorted for too long. It really has. And I know there are people in here today that are struggling to grasp how much your Heavenly Father loves you because your earthly father has probably disappointed you. But I just want to tell you, God is not scared of your past. And his love is not contingent on anything that you have done before or after. He loves you so much, and he wants to show that to you this morning. And he really does, regardless of the hurts, regardless of the frustration, you are in the right place. Because your heavenly father loves you so much. And he wants to restore some things that earth has taken from you. So, okay, all right, personal story alert, I know. It can be kind of cringy sometimes, but I'm going to do my best to get through this. Um, so I am a father now. I can tell you that. Uh, it is a wild ride, um, but it was not one that went anything like I thought it was going to go. <laughs> so Tiffany and I got married in 2005, at the young, which that's a long time ago now. It's like 16 years ago. I'm getting old. She's not, but I'm getting older. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and at the ages of 20 and 19, we were young, we were naive, and we were just having a good time. And we decided that we were going to start a family. Because that's what you do at 20 and 19. <laughs> You're ready for this. You've, you've made, it through, made it through high school. What could go wrong? Uh, and I remember we had the conversation. She was studying to go to nursing school. Um, I was working night shift at a hospital. And she decided, we decided together that, we, you know, we're going to start a family, and we'll just put everything on hold for a while. And that's what some of our friends had been doing, and so it seemed like a great idea at the time. And so we, uh, that's what, that was our plans going forward. And so Tiffany became pregnant, and we found out, ironically enough, on a cruise ship <laughs> with my entire family. And so we thought it would be a great way to notify everybody, because this is before social media, 
that we were pregnant uh, by waiting until one of the dinners, and then we passed, I think, my mom an envelope, and it said, like, yeah, we're pregnant, and we were excited, and everybody cheered for us at the table, and we were, we were having hugs, and we were pumped because I was going to be a father, and the world was not ready for that, but I was going to be father of the year. Uh, and uh, so we get home from our vacation, and we are making plans. We are jumping right in to this parenthood thing. We are, we're all in. I mean, onesies are appearing in the mail. I think her mom had sent one. She's got a baby book. Uh, I had a, I bought a book. I think it was like Fathering for Dummies or something. I had, <laughs> which is appropriate. Um, and we were, we were just running headlong into the parenting thing. We were, we were going for it, man. We were ready for it. And not long after uh, we made, you know, we made the announcement and we made sure everybody knew, uh, I went to work a night shift. And I'll never forget it because I was working a night shift. And ironically enough, I was working in a NICU, which is, you know, preterm babies. So that's just kind of a weird twist of fate. And I come home from that night shift, and I, I walk in the door, and uh, my wife is just, like, sobbing. And I didn't – I thought the dog had ran away. Like, I, didn't, I don't have, like, a full grasp on everything that's happening. And she tells me that she's bleeding, and she thinks that she's miscarrying uh, the baby, which, I'll be honest, I didn't even know what a miscarry was at the time. Just everybody that got pregnant had a baby, I thought. And uh, she went to her doctor, you know, I'm, I'm, as a man, you're kind of dealing with a bunch of different emotions at the same time. You hate seeing your wife like this, but you, what can you do, right? You know, there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, so she went to the doctor and she came back and they confirmed that uh, she was in fact miscarrying that baby and that baby was not going to be, you know, carried to term and born, basically. Uh, and that was kind of a weird shock, you know, because you go from the super high high of yeah, going to be a dad, you know, just running into the breeze, like everything's great. And then you go to this crashing low of like, oh, that's not only is that not happening, uh, but you're, you're dealing with like a loss of something you never had, which is weird because it's not, it's not a full, it's not a full thing that you could really understand until you've gone through it. And I recognize there are many people in this building this morning who know exactly what I'm talking about, unfortunately, because you have had that same experience. But uh, th this experience was not a one-time event for us. Over the next uh, two or three years, we, we would have two or three more miscarriages. I, I know two for sure. I'm not sure when the third one happened, but there was two for sure. And uh, every time it would play out the same way. You know, we'd get a positive pregnancy test, go to the doctor, blood levels were good, and then, you know, a week or so later, you would see that, you know, that, that drop in hormone levels, and, you know, unfortunately, the baby would not any longer be viable. And it was, a, it was a weird emotional experience to kind of go through um, because, you, you know, you want to be a father, but at the same time, you don't want to see your wife suffer every time. It's just a weird thing. There's a lot of emotions that kind of went through it. And I was young and very naive, too, so I, I probably was not the best support, so I apologize for that. But anyways, seven years later, um, we decided that we were just not going to do the family thing. It wasn't for us. It was too painful. The effort, fatherhood wasn't for me. I had convinced myself of that. And so we just jumped headlong into life as a couple, and we had a really good time. You know, we weren't trying to start a family. We bought a two-seater car, which those are amazing if you've ever had a two-seater car. Uh, soon as my kids are old enough, it's coming back. I promise you that. <laughs> and uh, we were just living the dream. Tiffany went back to nursing school. And so she became an RN, and uh, 
We kind of had just put that behind us. But you know, when you go through something, and everybody out here can relate on some level, when you go through something like that, there's some pretty strong walls that get built. Uh, there's some pretty deep emotional crevices that you don't walk back through. And so we were living life. And then in 2011, Tiffany had just graduated nursing school. Um, she comes to me one morning crying, this time not like in a sad way, but like in a frustrated way. And she announces to me that she's pregnant. And we tell this story all the time because she's like, Chad, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, no, you're not. Go back to sleep. And she was like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, stop. Like, why are you? I was so mad that she was waking me up. My brain wasn't working. <laughs> I was like, just, no, you're not. And then she got mad. I think she might have even thrown the test at me. And, uh, and so we had this, like, we had this weird mix of emotions because at the same time, you know, you can go back, you can get back into that mental headspace of wanting to be a parent, but then you're like, oh, I don't want to go through another miscarriage. I had prayed, and I was like, God, if she gets pregnant again, I can't go through another miscarriage. I just can't do it. I don't care if she never gets pregnant again. I just don't want to go through the miscarriage part of it. And so we're kind of frustrated in a weird way because now she had just graduated nursing school, and she thought she was going to lose her job. So ironically enough, which now we know that's not a thing, but we didn't know it at the time. Ironically enough, this pregnancy comes on us, and uh, it started kind of chaotic in that way, and it, it didn't stop. Um, when she was about 10 weeks pregnant, um, she had already been labeled high risk. So that means every week she had to go to the doctor, get her blood drawn, get a test, make sure that the blood levels were high. You know, they were pulling out all the stops for her because of the history of miscarriage. So I was going to go work uh, a night shift. Again, everything bad happens to me when I work night shifts. So I was going to work a night shift, and she was going camping uh, with my family. And the story is going somewhere, I promise. And so she is camping with my family in Morro Bay, California. I am two hours away in Ventura, California, working a night shift, struggling with the thoughts of, like, do I get excited about being a father, or do I just put this in this spot of expectation of failure so that way I don't have to go through the herd again, because that's what we do. And uh, I'm in that place. And I get the call again that you never want to have. And she said that she had got her blood drawn right before she went uh, camping. And they told her, like, hey, your levels are dropping. It's not all the way, you know, at a, at a level where there's another miscarriage happening for sure. But it looks like you're heading that way. So you need to run to a pharmacy, take this, take this drug, and maybe it'll stick, right? That was the thought process. Maybe it'll stick. So we hadn't told anybody because we didn't want any sympathy or anything like that. But she didn't have a car, so she had to tell my whole family so they would take her to CVS to get the drugs, to get the stuff she needed. And I, of course, am working another night shift in the NICU, of, course, of all places, uh, getting ready to come up and see her. So I just remember on that drive, two hours, all night, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing if this was going to be another miscarriage, if the medication would get there soon enough and if the baby would stick. And I don't know all the all the uh, pharmacokinetics of how that drug works to keep, the, to keep the baby alive, but I was just hoping it was doing its thing. Um, and I pull up, and I get there, and I'm just looking for her response on her face, and she's like, well, I'm not bleeding, and so we're like, all right, well, let's just see. And it was day by day by day. Like, you just never knew if, you were gonna, if the next day was going to be a miscarriage or the next day was, you know, what was going to happen. And it was a very, very long pregnancy. And so... Good news is, is the baby stuck, but I think it was 24 weeks. She's an L&D nurse, so at 24 weeks, she starts having preterm labor. And I know what that means. You know, if you have a preterm baby, you know, you're 50-50 at that time if the baby's even going to survive. So we end up in the hospital. We're spending the night in L&D. They're giving her shots, everything to try to keep the baby in the womb. Um, 
another stressful couple of days. I'm still in this defensive spot of, like, I'm not thinking of myself as going to be a father. I'm thinking of, like, I just don't want my wife to die during all of this stuff. You know, I just want this baby to stick. Um, we would be back in again at the 30-week mark uh, for another preterm labor. And just through miracle of miracles, she went almost full term with this baby that just didn't want to stay in there the whole time. Uh, <laughs> and it was like the longest nine months of my life. And I'm saying that I didn't even carry the baby. I was just standing there watching her carry the baby. So I know it doesn't have the credibility as the, as the mom, but it was a long time. And then it's finally time for the baby to be born after all of this, all of the stress, all of the labor. And uh, her water breaks, and there's meconium uh, in the water, which means that as she starts to give birth, there's, there's a higher chance that, um, excuse me, the baby's lungs could be compromised because if that gets into the lungs, it can cause a problem. And then the baby's heart rate was decelerating during birth. All of this means that she had to go back and have an emergency C-section. So, of course, nothing can go easy. <laughs> nothing can go easy. Everything has to be the hardest possible route. Uh, and I'm standing in the operating room, like, I'm exhausted, and I don't even know. I've been in operating rooms thousands of times as a healthcare worker. It's different when it's your kid. And I'm just standing there, and I'm looking at my wife, you know, and they make the, they make the, the cut, and then out of nowhere comes this banshee cry. <laughs> and emerged the two largest baby hands I had ever seen in my life out through the womb. Uh... And it was just like this culmination. I'd love to say that I was emotional and like, oh, you know, the baby's here. I wasn't. I was just like relieved. Like, oh, wow, he's got big hands. Like, that was my thought. Like, oh. And they, they bring him over and, and they sit him there. And I'm looking down. And the long nine months later, Jackson is sitting there on the warmer. And, you know, none of that stuff, none of the previous seven years, at that moment, it didn't even matter. It didn't even matter. I, like, the hurt was still kind of there from the miscarriages. And you wonder what. You wonder, you know, you wonder what could have been. But when you're looking at your newborn son and he's there, it just changes everything. It really does. All right. I tell myself a funny joke in my head so that way I don't cry. <laughs> but when I look back at this story, it was like, my, my mindset through that entire pregnancy was just, I thank God that I don't know the future. And if you've ever asked to know the future, you should stop. It's, I thank God I don't know the future. Because when I look back at that story, had I known at 10 weeks that that baby was Jackson, ooh, I probably would have wrecked my truck trying to get to her. If I had known at 24 weeks that that was Jackson in, in preterm labor, I don't, I don't know what I would have done. That would have been no help, I can tell you that. It wasn't much help anyways, but... If I had known when meconium was present that Jackson's life was in danger, I don't know what I would have done. I would have, I, would have, I would have lost my mind because of the love that I have for my own son. You know, we have, uh, it's only been nine years, but, you know, we've got, like, crazy guy. That's my buddy right there. We do everything. And, uh, and I did so much better at this last night. <laughs> we play football together. He carries me at Fortnite. He reminds me how bad I am. <laughs> Jackson, come revive me. I'm down. We, we've moved together. We've done every, we do everything together. And 
I almost lost out on that relationship so many times during that pregnancy. It almost didn't happen. I didn't even know. But I was reminded of Luke chapter 11, verse 13. And this is me. I'm not even a good person. I'm just not even. And yet, I have that kind of love for my son on earth. And then the Bible tells me that if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father love you? And I, don't, I honestly put God in the wrong spot so many times because I, I, I trust my own love more than I trust his. I trust that I would do anything for my son. I would do anything for him. But at the same time, I'm like, God can't love me after this stupid thing that I've done. God can't forgive me after all of this stuff. God is not going to come meet me in the middle of this really stupid mess that I got myself into. But yet at the same time, this tells me that anything I'm willing to do for my own, for my own children, he's, he's going to do it exceedingly and abundantly above that. So much more than that. And it's Father's Day. And so often we put God in the wrong spot in our life. He's our heavenly father, and he loves us so much. You know how I know that? Because he told us the invisible things are seen by the, by the things that are made. You know, we, we do it with our own kids, but I bet you God's doing it right now. He's looking out here on a morning like this, and he's like, man, I love the way that person interacts with people. That's my daughter right there. She's so awesome. I love my, that's my son. He, he is crazy, and he makes way too many mistakes, but I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to be at that birth. When he comes up, mm, help me walk down this road. When he comes up out of the water in Jesus' name, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for that birth because I love them so much. I would die for her. I would die for him. I would forgive them. If they would come to an altar and they would just, just try to have a relationship with me, I would forgive everything they've ever done. I would restore their life in a way they don't even know. I love them so much. And yet at the same time, we make our Heavenly Father so much, and I might just be talking about myself, but we make him out to be this like robotic supercomputer that's just up there looking at right and wrong only, and he's just forgotten about relationship. That's not the case at all. You want to know what the Father's thinking? He's thinking, man, I wish they knew how much I loved him. I wish they knew that I would do anything to be with him this morning. And you know, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, it hit me in a different way when I was reading this chapter after I thought about talking about, you know, having a baby, and uh, last story on this, when uh, our very first pregnancy, we uh, bought some baby furniture from a friend who had a baby that had just kind of grown up and moved out of it, and so we were like, oh, we're going to be parents, so we bought this baby furniture, it's kind of funny now, at the time it was super sad, we bought this furniture, because, you know, we were going to be parents right after we got married, we had all the miscarriages, and then the furniture sat in our garage for like seven years. We couldn't get rid of it, but at the same time, <laughs> it was just in the way all the time. And so it was always in the garage, and we took it everywhere we went. Every time we moved, we're like, well, we'll have a baby someday. And we just kept bringing this furniture. And it was like a changing table and a dresser. It was just so much stuff. And it, it was always in the way. My, I'd hit it with my motorcycle tire or something. It was getting beat up, but we just emotionally, we couldn't bring ourselves to get, re to get rid of it. Uh, but it was a pretty cool moment um, when we got to put that in Jackson's room. And I went through a little bit of trouble moving that stuff, literally. It came with us even to Missouri when we moved. Finally, the last of it went to Savers, I think, like two or three years ago. Uh, 
But man, the effort that I put into moving that stuff, and we move a lot, and so the effort that I put into moving that stuff was, was crazy. And again, we put God in this weird spot sometimes, and we don't let him be our heavenly father. But look what, look what John chapter 14 tells us from Jesus. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. And musician, you can come up here so that way I stop telling personal stories. But you know what? Right now, if we take the Bible at its word, every one of us that might not be sure about our future, not be, might not be sure what, what our relationship with the Heavenly Father even looks like at this point, he's preparing a place for you. He didn't come down and ask you if you wanted it or not. You know, I, he didn't come down and ask for your, your paint color preference. <laughs> but he's saying, I love them so much. I'm anticipating their arrival. I'm anticipating them making it up into heaven with me. And I'm preparing a place for you. That's how much he loves us this morning. That's how much he cares for us. He's not just like, oh, I hope they make it. They better believe the Bible, go word for word. If not, they ain't getting through the pearly gates. It's not it at all. Nah, he's anticipating your arrival so much. He loves you so much that right now he's like, I know they're having a hard time down there. You know, I know that, I know that the labor pains are real. Uh, you know, they haven't made all the best decisions. They haven't done everything right. But I know that all it takes is if they will turn their eyes to me, I am going to make sure that they make it here with me for eternity. And when I look back, here's one thing I do know about God is he does have, uh, he does have the ability to see the end from the beginning. And, you know, all the pain that it, it causes me, because it did cause me a lot of pain to write down, like, the events of Jackson's birth. It did. Uh, just because, like I said, the thought of what I could have lost was heavy. But guess what? The Heavenly Father's here today, and the thought of losing you is a very real real concern on his mind I know you could have been in church your whole life you could have just you know accidentally shown up here today it doesn't matter it's here by divine appointment because he wants to remind you that he loves you so much and I bet you I bet you because we can see a little bit about how he thinks that the thought of losing you is so heavy on him this morning it's so heavy he doesn't want you to walk out these doors the same way you came in he wants you to come up here to an altar in just a few minutes and recommit a life to him. And you know what, church, as you stand, there is a love here today that so often society forgets about. There's a love here that is so often hard to recognize. It's so often hard to quantify. And it's the love of a father that wants to take your life and take it to levels that you can't even imagine. But it's up to us to respond in a way that gives him that opportunity. And so for just a few minutes before you head out on Father's Day, I also have a stake on my mind. What if we just found a place and we tried to realign ourselves with that mindset that our Heavenly Father loves us more than our mistakes, more than our failures, more than our insecurities, more than our cold heart, more than us forgetting who he is. He loves us so much. So if you'll come, if you'll find an altar, if you'll find a place to pray in your seat, I promise you your heavenly father will meet you there. I believe he will meet you there. 
Thank you, Jesus.